you know, I just don't think that we can afford to think in silos anymore when it comes to telling effective stories. You know, I don't think we're served particularly well by uh, limiting ourselves to thinking in terms of marketing or communications or fundraising because story is the thread that pulls it all together. I'm Ben Amos. Join me as we dive deep into how some of the best in business, marketing, content creation and education wield powerful and effective stories to engage audiences and drive action. Welcome to Engage With Story. Earlier this week, my wife, Nicole, and I were sitting down watching The Project, a current affairs and news entertainment program on here in Australia each weeknight. And as they tend to do on this show, they were running a story that aimed to draw attention and awareness to a global issue, to encourage people to give a small amount of money to a global charity. Now, this story, if we could call it that, was filled with some pretty compelling and heart-wrenching statistics. The presenter reported stats such as, on average, 17 teenage girls are raped every minute around the world, and every five minutes, a child dies through violence. She went on to say that last year's data showed that 63% of children aged two to four years old around the world experienced physical punishment in a single month. Now, I turned to my wife on the couch next to me, half expecting to see her with tears in her eyes, reaching for her phone, looking to donate towards this cause, but, and not surprisingly, like me, she didn't seem particularly moved. And of course, we're both parents, and the idea of children around the world being harmed or facing violence or horrible acts being done to them, it's something that I care a lot about. But for some reason, this story failed to move me. And the reason? Well, that's exactly what we're going to explore in today's episode. My guest today has helped shape stories in the social sector for over a decade. She's worked widely across the not-for-profit, private and public sectors, writing for and consulting to startups, NGOs, trusts and foundations, and state and federal governments. She was the editor of Generosity magazine and now proudly finds herself in a role purpose-built for her at Philanthropy Australia as Chief Storyteller. During the course of her career, she's been lucky enough to interview entrepreneurs and business leaders, philanthropists, change makers, medical researchers, an astrophysicist, and even a Nobel Peace Prize winner. But she remains convinced that often the most memorable stories are those of everyday people. She is Nicole Richards, and I'm so pleased to have her on the show today. In this really interesting chat, we explore the power of storytelling in moving people to take action in the philanthropy space, giving, donating, seeking funding, and most important of all, communicating a message to help people start to give a crap. We explore the importance of understanding the tension between the head and the heart, of stepping back before diving in, and the power of simplicity over complexity when crafting stories in the nonprofit and charity sectors. And this is gonna be a good one. So let's dive in with my interview with Nicole Richards, Chief Storyteller from Philanthropy Australia. Okay, Nicole Richards, welcome to Engage With Story. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Ben, thanks for having me. 
Awesome. So I, I gave the listeners a bit of a rundown on who you are and a little bit about your story in the introduction there. But for those people that haven't heard about you before and also haven't heard about Philanthropy Australia before, can you fill us in a little bit on, on your story? What led you to where you are and the work you're doing today in philanthropy? Sure. So um, my career path is actually a bit of a squiggly one. And uh, if I had to find a common theme, I'd have to say that it's been a path that's been carved by curiosity more than anything else. Um, I think growing up, I was always one of those kids who asked a lot of questions, maybe sometimes too many questions, but I was always curious to know what drives people to do the things that they do. So probably no surprise then that when I went to university, I actually studied history and communications. And then while I was studying, I was working in a record store when such things existed. And by fate or circumstance, that led to a job in the music industry. And uh, from there, I, I went into publishing. I was marketing academic texts. Then I went into corporate communications in government, working for um, a big government department in Melbourne. Uh, but for me, the politics of politics just was a little bit too much. I was working in public health communications and um, that's a pretty contentious area sometimes. And sometimes the political will doesn't match the immediate need. And, and that can be an exercise in sheer frustration after a while. Mm -hmm. So I went back to the nonprofit sector and um, then started freelancing while I was raising my young family and that led to uh, the editor job at Generosity Magazine, which landed me at Philanthropy Australia, which is the peak body for giving in this country. So in terms of, you know, the writing side of things, um, writing is, is how I make sense of the world. And I've just always loved helping people share their stories. So I made a conscious decision after, after you know, dipping my feet into the, the private sector, the public sector and the nonprofit sector, I really did make a conscious choice to try and use whatever skills I have to do some good in the world. So for me, being able to share the stories of incredible, you know, inspiring change makers who are out there making the world a better place every day, that's just a real privilege. And, you know, sharing those stories because stories, the glue for me, it's the glue that connects us. Um, it's, it's how we build understanding and how we see ourselves in another person's experience. I mean, it's really the encapsulation of shared humanity. Yeah. And what, where do you think you, uh, you, you got your interest from in philanthropy? Did that just kind of just develop over time or, or, you know, what drove you into that particular industry and passion? Well, I think having worked on the nonprofit side of the fence, philanthropy was always this you know, kind of fairly mysterious beast where you, you heard the names and, and you knew that there was funding available to help support the valuable work that you're doing within the charity. But again, for me, it was trying to understand these people who were using private money for public good, you know, like that's an exceptional thing but not everybody's doing it. So what's driving them to do that? Why are they getting involved? Why are they, you know, putting their money out there, putting their neck on the line in some cases to try and do good. So again, for me, it's that curiosity again, I started interviewing some of them and that led to, you know, building my understanding of philanthropy as well. And it is a, a multifaceted sector and it is fairly complex and it's deeply personal so there's always a story like for any philanthropic gift there is always a story behind it so for me again that story was the real motivator yeah I think when people 
think about, and this is from my own experience as well, you consider philanthropy or philanthropists and you uh, you kind of conjure up images of, you know, rich men um, in, in suits and smoking jackets maybe. I don't know why I've got that idea in my head, but, uh, you know, uh, and maybe, you know, Bill Gates kind of level of, of, uh, of wealth or something like that. And, um, but philanthropy today is, is, is really quite varied and diverse, isn't it? It's, it's, um, not necessarily what people first think about when they think about, um, philanthropists. So can you, can you kind of fill us in on, in your view, what, what does contemporary philanthropy look like? Mm-hmm. So you're dead right. I mean, philanthropy, historically, the stereotype, it, it's been this sort of exclusive domain of very rich, um, usually older, usually male, very white industry kind of titans. So, you know, obviously from the US, you'd be thinking the Carnegie's, the Rockefellers, more contemporary, uh, you know, philanthropist Gates obviously come to mind. They do have the biggest foundation in the world. So, that's the, the history of it. But thank goodness uh, we're in an age, courtesy of technology and connection, where we're seeing philanthropy become more and more democratized. So contemporary philanthropy in Australia spends everything from the $400 million announcement that Andrew and Nicola Forrest made last year uh, and, you know, big sort of legacy foundations like the Vincent Fairfax Family Foundation or Meyer or Ian Potter through to smaller givers um, that come together as a collective, such as uh, the channel, which is an LGBTQ collective giving group. And you can get involved with that for I think it's $25 a month. They come together, all the members come in, pull their money and then, you know, give it to a particular project or area. Then you have live crowdfunding models like the funding network where people come together around, again, a different cause area. They give, you know, corporate philanthropists come in. It's a really engaged model. So, you know, another feature is that philanthropy is also getting a lot younger and the next generation philanthropists, and this is particularly true, you know, in Silicon Valley where you've got a lot of wealth coming um, from, from that part of the world. These younger philanthropists aren't waiting for retirement. Like they're not content to make their money and then spend it at the end to try and do good. They're giving early and they are digging into the big tough problems, you know, whether that's climate change or something that doesn't have an immediate remedy. So that's all really, really encouraging. And even one of the other things is um, the level of engagement. So again, in the past, philanthropy has sort of tended to be more of a, you know, we call it checkbook philanthropy. So it's quite a passive act of, of handing over the money and, you know, hoping it, it hits the target or it does some good. Whereas now there are much higher expectations around engagement and impact. So even though it is deeply personal, there's always a, a head and a heart tension, you know, particularly when you're considering that big entrepreneurs and, and people who've done extremely well in business who, who are quite business-minded, they're bringing that lens to their charitable giving. So they're going to want to see the impact or the difference that that money is making. So that's why, you know, we even see people like Bill and Melinda Gates 
who are being increasingly transparent about their motivations and uh, the way that they interpret different problems and the different solutions that they're trying. They recently just published, they do an annual letter each year where they talk about the challenges and, and, you know, their successes for the year. And the most recent one uh, was really interesting because they actually personally answered the 10 most frequently asked questions that are put to them. And that ranged a huge spectrum around, you know, whether they have outsized influence, uh, whether it's, you know, kind of they're having a cultural misappropriation, whether, um, you know, why don't they fund more domestically? Lots of different questions. And that's, you know, it's really inspiring from a philanthropic point of view to see people with such profile and such deep pockets, um, you know, responding in a thoughtful and um, open way. I guess this is all just a, a byproduct of the ultra-connected world globally that we are, thanks to, you know, internet and social media, and it's making, potentially making philanthropy more visible in a way, would you say? I think visible and also accountable. I mean, philanthropy yeah. does operate. It's, it needs a social license to be able to operate. So, you know, I think that's a really important part of it. And I think that we will see more and more transparency as those expectations rise. Um, you know, as you say, with the hyperconnectivity in the world today, there is some, you know, there's really no place where you would not want, I mean, you're going to expose everything, of course, but, you know, Growing the awareness and raising the levels of giving needs stories to be shared. And so that level of transparency is really necessary. Yeah. In your role in Philanthropy Australia, I love your title. Your title you. officially is Chief Storyteller. So mm. obviously, you know, that's exciting to me, um, that role. But can you tell me, what does that entail? Like what does the role of a Chief Storyteller for Philanthropy Australia do? So in a nutshell, it's finding and sharing the stories that um, sort of demonstrate, I guess, the depth and the diversity of contemporary philanthropy in Australia. So the whole idea, my you know, overarching objective is to use story to drive or generate more and better philanthropy. So that means that my role is very heavy on relationships. I mean, as a storyteller, I think that essentially boils down to people and conversations. So a lot of that, you know, has to do with trust. Um, philanthropy in the past has been traditionally a little bit hamstrung or a little bit reticent about sharing stories. Uh, people have been worried about the tall poppy syndrome. But the fact is that stories are really, really influential amongst the philanthropic community. And, you know, I know of several instances of some big-name donors who were moved to get started into the, their own philanthropy after hearing about the stories of their business peers. Um, so that peer leveled story sharing is really influential. Um, another key aspect of my job, I'm very keen to be able to bring a diversity of stories uh, through here. So diversity of voices, a diversity of experiences that really do kind of debunk the myth of philanthropy only being for a certain type of person or at a certain time in their life, uh, but really making it a lot more accessible. And then, you know, the other factor here is that these, these shouldn't just be my story. So, you know, yeah, I have storytelling in my role, but I'm a big believer in a cult, building a culture of storytelling, obviously within the organisation that I'm working for, but more generally in the sector. Um, and because sometimes, frankly, the best thing a storyteller can do is to get out of the way of a story. So yeah. 
sometimes it's not just about giving a voice to the voiceless. And I hear that a lot in the nonprofit sector, and that's a great place to start. But sometimes it's, it's about actually passing the mic so that they can share their own stories in their own words in a meaningful way. Yeah, you mentioned there the importance of um, the, the philanthropists or the philanthropists philanthropic organizations telling telling stories to to help share what they're doing and inspire others to to give um but there's the other side of the coin as well of obviously around the um those seeking funding those charities and nonprofits that mm. um there's so many of around the world and in australia and in every country um yeah. you know why do you think story is such a powerful tool for for charities or nonprofits to use I think that more than most other sectors, storytelling in the nonprofit space, you know, we're not talking just about an information transfer where you're just trying to communicate a set of figures or facts necessarily. We're in the business of hearts and minds connection. You know, you're asking people to get on board with your cause or the work that your organization is doing to make a change for the better in the world. And so that's already straight up an enormous challenge, you have to find a way of cutting through all the noise, you know, the complete barrage of information that all of us receive every single day. And, you know, this requires really thoughtful, um, not random communication. And it requires a narrative that helps people relate to what it is you're talking about. So whether that is, you know, making people care, uh, whether you're a social services provider or an environmental nonprofit, you're trying to get people to connect with you because they want to make something better. So it's the personal connection is critical. So all the stories well, pretty much all the stories are going to be around engaging people, connecting them by, you know, painting a picture for them with words, with photos, with video that are making uh, your work and your ambitions in terms of what you're trying to achieve with your impact, making it as tangible as possible. So a lot of that will require, um, you know, it's, it's all about simplicity over complexity, um, using words that evoke visuals, um, bringing people in with your story rather than overwhelming them with a social problem that is just too much for them to think about and pushing them away. It's about helping them see how they're making a difference, that that little bit of support, whether it's a small amount or a big amount or it's a one-off donation or it's, you know, a bequest that they're going to make at the end of their lifetime, how that is really going to make a difference. Um, You know, and again, it's just achieving that cut through is, it's as easy and it's as difficult as that. Yeah. And, you know, when I think about, charities or, or nonprofits that, um, that come to mind for me, I, I, I do see some of, some of these organizations struggling with the story because often I feel they're the issues or the problems that they're trying to address, uh, are often very large. And sometimes the easiest way to communicate the complexity or the, or the importance of the problem is to, you know, uh, spout some facts and figures. So statistics or, you know, talking about how many people are being affected by something every day or every minute or every second, or, you know, and these can be effective ways to make people sit up and pay attention. But I think if it's not then, uh, combined with a story, then it potentially can miss 
the mark. I mean, what do you say to that? And also, you know, where do you see these charities or organizations struggling to use story effectively? Yeah, it's a really good point, Ben. And I think, you know, when you're dealing with an issue that is as complex and um, difficult to fathom as something like climate change or even, you know, international humanitarian aid where you're asking people to kind of put their faith in you, like your donors, your supporters, because they can't see what you see out in the field or they, you know, maybe just don't have the bandwidth to try and process and compute all of the numbers and the figures because frankly you know what we're all kind of struggling to do the best we can every day you need to make it digestible and impactful for the people but help them understand that whatever their contribution is it's making a meaningful difference it's not just a drop in the bucket the situation is not that helpless or hopeless um that you know that they can have a little bit of um take a bit of pride in, in helping contribute to, to a solution. So I think one of the biggest challenges that nonprofits face, you know, it's probably true for most organizations really across all the sectors is again, just achieving that cut through. There's so much noise. There is so much competition for philanthropic funding um, that being able to make your story a little bit distinct is the real challenge. And that's exacerbated by the fact that, you know, most nonprofits are very lean organizations, really lean. So there's so many demands upon their time that, you know, often I know where I've worked, there's always been a little bit of conflict or a bit of tension between fundraising and communications and, you know, how that relationship fits together. And then, you know, which one has the primacy when and where, and, you know, for me, I like to think that rather than kind of getting bogged down in the tactical execution, really the story has the primacy. Like I would like to see again, for the sake of simplicity or the complexity that the story is the spearhead and the tool that you use to tell that story and share it you know, is governed by other things in terms of your purpose. But starting there, understanding what you need your story to do is the best place to start. Um, you know, sharing stories obviously builds a community of support. It helps the funding community understand what your priorities are, um, you know, what the capacity is. But ultimately, I don't think, you know, I just don't think that we can afford to think in silos anymore when it comes to telling effective stories you know i don't think we're served particularly well by uh limiting ourselves to thinking in terms of marketing or communications or fundraising because story is the thread that pulls it all together yeah and this is about being human isn't it because at the end of the day the, the people you're trying to reach with with your communications or marketing or message uh, as, a, as a charity are humans they are people and people care about people and it's hard for people to care about you know large big problems unless they mm. can connect in some way on a human person to person level um, and obviously that's you know as for many philanthropic organizations or philanthropists or, or people who are donating uh, their their money to a cause it's easier to do I feel when there's a personal connection so it's something that's personally affected you your family and that kind of thing but mm. when it when it's bigger than that um, or you haven't got that personal connection I think for the organizations trying to communicate to these people 
they need to make that personal connection. So make it personal. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's about making it personal, but also, you know, and part of that requires making it relatable. You know, I not may not, you know, in the comfort of my middle class Australian suburban home, I may not be able to be very difficult to relate to the situation of, you know, a woman who is in a developing country and, you know, struggling to take her daughter, get her daughter into, you know, safe and accessible education. So I, but as a mother, I can relate to her hopes and dreams and aspirations for her daughter. So do you know what I mean? Like it is just about finding that connection and understanding what moves people and you know when I say moves people I don't think you know we've we've all lived through that era of the kind of the poverty porn where people are telling stories that are about shock and awe with all of the statistics and you know um the the flies in the eyes and the swollen bellies and all that kind of thing like you can tell a story with impact without stripping the dignity from people I think that's really important yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that is the power of story. The the tagline to engage with story, this podcast is, you know, exploring how the power of story to move people to take action. And that's exactly what story is aiming to do here exactly. in, in, in this sector. So look, let's try and, um, you know, dive into this a bit deeper by mm-hmm. looking at a, a real world example. So have, can you share with us, uh, you know, an example of, you know, real change that's been made by using great or effective storytelling uh, in this space? Sure. So the example that springs to mind is an organization called Higher Up, which has only been around for a few years now. And it's an online platform that was created to um, revolutionize the way that people with uh, disability find and manage their support workers. So the main the main appeal for me here is that the storytelling at Hira, which was founded by um, brothers and a brother and sister Jordan and Laura O'Reilly, they have from the very very beginning made their story tangible and real. They have connected people, whether that's their philanthropic supporters, um, their investors, connected them to a solution and they've made it increasingly human. Like even at the moment, I just had a look at their website earlier and they've got some great video storytelling on there at the moment that is just first rate. But the whole premise of what they've done is is about connection and relationships so you know as we've just discussed it's making it real and relatable for people because it's about people you know again story humanity people connection so their business stories so there's the social enterprise so they bring together philanthropy and impact investing you know it's a business for purpose and Jordan, the founder, who has just gone on to amazing, amazing success, he's received so many different awards, um, met the queen, everything, lots of recognition. But the seed of this entire story and the journey, and they share it really compellingly, this all comes down to a very personal story in that their younger brother, Jordan and Laura's younger brother, uh, had a disability. So growing up, they knew the ins and outs and the day-to-day challenges of trying to find the right support worker to help care for their brother. And they understood that it wasn't just about 
you know, the technical qualifications or, um, you know, the capacity to be there on time or to deliver. But the fact that adding a relationship, recognizing the relationship between the person with disability and the support worker made all of the difference. So that was the whole genesis for the business model. And that has been the centerpiece of their entire story. So it's an incredibly personal, vulnerable story. They've built a business that has just made tremendous impact already. All the numbers are on their website in terms of the services delivered. It's gone from strength to strength in such a short period of time. And I would hazard a strong guess that a lot of that is because the story is so accessible. It's making the solution real and tangible for people who wouldn't want to be involved with that. Yeah, that's awesome. We'll, um, we'll also have a link in the show notes to this podcast episode uh, to, to higher up so people can check out what they're doing there. Right. I, I want to... Um, get some practical tips now from you as well around, you know, how charities and nonprofits can start thinking about using story more effectively to, to communicate their, their message and their mission. Um, can we maybe dive into see if we can grab the top three tips from you? How does that sound? Sure. Um, so I guess the first thing would be to step back before you even start to dive in. And that's sort of st- thinking a little bit strategically first. And, you know, none of this is rocket science. Um, these are just the fundamentals of good communication, really. So it doesn't have to be difficult, but it does require a little bit of thought beforehand rather than just kind of running in, finding a story, thinking, yeah, that'll do. So my first piece of advice would be to know your audience. Where are they? How do they want to engage with you? What moves them? What do they value? Um, what do you want them to do? And, and what's the emotion that's going to help them do that? Uh, are you sure that this is the, the right audience for you? Um, how and where do they usually consume stories? How familiar, how familiar are they with your particular subject matter? Um, you know, what motivates them? These sorts of questions just to build the understanding. Now, you'll have different subsets within each audience. But again, from a strategic communications point of view, rather than saying, well, we're going to target the general public, which is setting yourself up to fail, particularly because media and channels these days are so segmented, you need to understand with some level of depth, the complexities, the nuances and the opportunities with your audiences. So take the time to know them, ask the questions, listen to the feedback, uh, you know, Learn from what they're telling you. That's really important. Awesome. Know know your audience. Know your audience. Um, The second one I would say is knowing exactly what you need your story to do. Again, if you kind of just go in with this generic, well, we want to raise awareness. As a communicator, you know, I hear that all the time. We just need to raise awareness. Wow. That's a really nonspecific, unhelpful uh, starting place. Ask yourself, why? Why are you sharing this story? Understand what your purpose is in sharing this story because that's going to influence not only which story you choose to tell but how you tell it and where you tell it. Um, It's going to help you choose the right format, whether you're going to put that story out in video or in a first-person narrative or as a case study or Q&A. 
Um, and then, you know, thinking about what is the response that you want from the people who read your story? Are you asking them to feel a certain way? You know, that feeling, the emotional aspect is going to guide the tone of your story. And once you have this knowledge about what you need your story to do, you're going to be able to get a great interview. You'll be able to ask the right questions and you'll be able to gather all the raw material. And that might include some of the statistics or the facts and figures to help build context around this personal story. That's going to help you craft a piece in the right format to really hit your target. So rather than just this generic, you know, we're going to raise awareness about the work that we do, you're really narrowing your focus, understanding the purpose. And, you know, even in terms of your corporate storytelling, you know, whether that's your about us section on the website or your annual report, understanding like what's the story there? Uh, that's going to serve a different purpose to the stories that you might pull out to showcase your work around a particular issue or, you know, a day like International Women's Day. Uh, so understanding what you need your story to do is going to help you find the right story to do that. Yeah, the importance of storytelling with with purpose so that it's not just wishy-washy storytelling is, is typically how I describe it. Precisely. And tip three? Okay, third and final piece of advice is to look for the human connection and to keep it real. Um, no one, I, you know, aside from the fake news phenomenon, which we could, we can talk about at length in a whole different podcast, yeah. but you know, people don't, don't be inauthentic. You're just not doing yourselves, your brand, your work, any kind of favors. Um, you know, I can say with confidence, particularly from the philanthropic point of view, like seeing a little bit of vulnerability can sometimes go a long way because again, that is about shared humanity. That is about human frailty. That is about the connection with experience. When you get real, that's when you increase your chances of getting a connection. Nobody is expecting you to tell a fairy tale. You know, no one is going to believe you, A, but B, it's very hard to connect to something if the tone of your stories are repeatedly, if you're sharing the same story over and over again about how great your organization is and how everything's been a runaway success, you don't leave room for people to to really buy in and, and get that traction with you and want to stick with you for the long haul. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's really important. Get real. Also getting real helps you really be relatable and accessible. Um, you know, if there's nothing within your story that speaks to the interests or the experiences of the audience, which you've already taken the time to get to know, they're not going to, they're not going to commit to your story. They're not going to read it to the end. They're not going to watch the video to the end. They're not going to, you know, open the next VM that you send them. There are trillions of stories out there. There are more stories than ever before. So you need to share the story, not for yourself or for your organization, but for the benefit of your audience. So, you know, it's not, it's putting them first, understanding their needs. Yeah. Yeah. It's about relatability, isn't it? Like you said before, you've said it can't oh, relate to the story. Um, if, you're not, if you're not understanding the context in which the story is being told and, and who to, mm. it's not going to land, right? No. And relatability is what gets you the connection. So, you know, it needs to, to be real. And, um, you know, I guess the final thing there I would say is, is part of that, you know, keeping it real and looking for the human connection is to treat your story with respect. Um, you know, sometimes I guess, you know, if somebody's entrusting you with their story, 
it's it's likely that it's going to be personal. You're talking about somebody's lived experience or the challenges they face in just getting through the world in the day to day. So treat it with respect. Um, you know, I think it is a privilege to be able to share somebody's story, particularly if you're sharing it with the intention of trying to, you know, get support or make the world a better place. So treat it carefully. And to that end, I had a really great, great quote the other day, which was that every social movement starts with a story. And I just thought that was incredibly insightful because if you think about any of the major social movements that we're seeing, particularly the 20th century, um, you know, the civil rights movement in the US, that started with the story of Rosa Parks who refused to give up her seat on a bus, you know, and even in a more contemporary sense, the Me Too and the Time's Up movement that started with story. So more than ever, story has real power. Yeah, absolutely. So those three tips again, just to summarize for our listeners was step back before you dive. Oh, sorry. That was actually the, when you started was step back before you dive in and actually, you know, understand the story that you're, you're wanting to tell before you tell it. Right. Um, but the three tips were know your audience, Mm-hmm. got to check to make sure I got these right. Um, know exactly what you want your story to do mm-hmm. and then look for that human connection. That's your three. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Really interesting actually, as you're saying that, because um, back in episode 37 of Engage with Story, I, I ran the listeners through what I call my story strategy framework, which is the three legs of the story strategy stool or the three things that ensure your story is going to hold up was audience goals and context, which is Mm -hmm. pretty much the Mm -hmm. three things that you just said. So (laughs) we're aligned. That's awesome. And that's, as I was sort of trying to explain before, you know, these are, these are the fundamentals of storytelling, which are really the fundamentals of communication. So it doesn't matter so much really whether or not, like these are very transferable skills. You could apply this thinking and this model to whether you are selling a service for a startup for profit business or whether you're, you know, a new charity that's trying to find a share of voice in a very crowded market. These are the fundamentals that will work for you um, across most of those applications. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is a, a great place to wrap up our conversation today. I really appreciate your insight into into philanthropy and storytelling. And I would love for you to share now where people can find out more about you or about Philanthropy Australia or, or, or get in touch yeah, sure. So um, most of the stories that I write are, are up on the Philanthropy Australia website. So you can check those out at philanthropy.org.au forward slash stories. Uh, you can always drop me a line on LinkedIn. You'll find me there pretty easily. And um, I'm actually doing a series of workshops around the country in May or June, which is specifically storytelling for nonprofits. So if anyone's interested in finding out about that, you'll find the details on the Philanthropy Australia website too. Excellent. And I encourage people who are listening to this podcast to consider their network and any people working in the nonprofit or charity space and please share this episode with them. Um, I, I know they're going to get something out of this and, and by connecting with, with Nicole and Philanthropy Australia as well. So do us a favour, share that out. Nicole, thank you for your time today. It's been fun. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Nicole Richards for her insight here on Engage With Story. Did you enjoy that chat? Let me know on Twitter at Engage underscore Ben. And once again, if you know anyone in the nonprofit or charity space, I'd really love it if you could share this episode with them. You know, and I know, they're gonna get a lot out of this. 
and to tell better stories. So you'll find the links for this episode, which you can share with those people over at the show notes over at engagevideomarketing.com slash episode 42. And if you haven't yet subscribed to Engage With Story, please do, as I've got some awesome guests and interviews coming for you over the next couple of weeks. So hit subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast player now. So I'm Ben Amos from Engage Video Marketing, and let me ask you, can I help you with your video content marketing strategy? If you'd like to learn more about becoming effective at communicating your brand's stories through video, then head on over to engagevideomarketing.com or reach out. So until next week, a quote to end out the show and who better for this episode than Mother Teresa herself. And she was quoted as saying, if I look at the mass, I will never act. If I look at one, I will. What a great way to end the show. So see you next week. Bye for now.